everyone and welcome to this live episode of To The Moon Allison where we talk about the top and trending works in science fiction, fantasy, speculative fiction, and romance. I'm your host Allison Martine Hubbard, author of the contemporary romance series The Bourbon Books and works of speculative fiction. I'm so excited today to be joined by a real life time traveler, Nick Jones, who is here seven hours in the future because he's in the UK. Hello Nick, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Alison. Yeah, nice to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you here. And as we were talking a little beforehand, we are all very confused by the time change because we've had the time change here in the United States. It hasn't happened in the in the UK, and we're all kind of confused. So I'm hoping that because your book handles time travel, the continuum can just fix this for us, and everyone will get it live wherever they are. And Halla Williams says hi, hi Halla, hi Halla. I am- I'm excited to uh, also be hosting the first podcast on my new computer. So if anything really strange happens today, I'm going to blame everything on my new computer, which I got yesterday after my computer died. Now, I don't know if that can be fixed also by time travel, but as you can see, Nick Jones is the author of The Observer Effect, which is the third book in his Joseph Bridgman series, which is about time travel. Nick, can you tell us a little bit about that book and a little bit about yourself as an author? Yeah, of course. So, yeah, as you said, I'm Nick Jones. I'm an author based in the UK. Um, And, yeah, I write time travel mysteries. And I think the, um, you know, today uh, is actually today is the launch of the third book in the series. But I think um, kind of before I get into that, I suppose it's a little bit of positioning around who the main character is and how he's kind of ended up, uh, you know, in, in the predicament that he's in in the third book. Um, so yeah, Joseph Bridgman is a is very much a kind of everyday, ordinary kind of guy. You know, I I love time travel movies. I love time travel fiction, uh, but it's often very big. Mm, you know, yeah. huge. You know, huge big ideas, and you've got the kind of uh, it's all very sci-fi, and it has to be London, and it has to be New York, and it has to be all those <laughs> kind of things. I quite like the idea of writing something very small, very kind of quirky, and it being. Uh, based in just a you know a town in the UK, <laughs> so I've got a, a the, the main character is a an, an antiques dealer, who, if we go right back, if we just time travel for a second and go back to book one, um, his life is a complete mess. So he's lost you know he's lost a, uh, his sister. He spent his whole life in like a really difficult situation, and he discovers through. Uh, I think when I first had the idea, it was he accidentally discovers he can time travel. So he's getting hypnosis to try and help him. And it's kind of like, oh, OK, so just using my mind, I can time travel. And that opens up. That's how the kind of whole series opens up, I guess. And then in the second book, so I, I kind of, you know, I'm a big kind of, well, I say a big, a, a Marvel fan. I'm, I'm a fan of how they've kind of created those kind of stories. And um, And it's kind of, that to me was my origin story. I wanted to write an origin story about somebody learning very, I wanted to pace it correctly and to learn about time travel. And, um, and, and then the sort of second, the second book is like mission one, you know, so that's when he, he really kind of dives in and discovers that there are other travelers and maybe there's something a bit more organized about this. And then having been through, absolutely tons of botched inductions during my time in in the real world I kind of thought how about you have a botched induction for a time traveler so book two is is absolute mayhem 
And yeah. as we join him in, as we join him in kind of book three, uh, the observer effect. It's been a couple of months since the the, uh, the 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 huge events in book two, and I kind of deliberately left him and the readers with a ton of questions. There's a a mysterious organisation in the the future called the Continuum, and they kind of heal time. Uh, and he's kind of one of many time travellers. And in this book, um, which is certainly more ambitious than anything I thought I'd ever try and write, um, he goes back to, uh, you know, 19th century Paris and is involved in this kind of opera house fire. And as, as a missing time traveller, there's a, a phantom lurking in the shadows you know i went full-on mystery with this well one. and and nick you said oh i like these small quiet things and i'm going what part of an <laughs> opera house burning down is small and quiet to you and i guess i do understand it's not well and you mentioned marvel there's no laser beams in the sky and aliens coming down which i appreciate i didn't need to read that but as far as a big thing happening this is still pretty monumental there's an entire opera house burning down in which miraculously no one dies which i i did i will say i listened to your author notes afterwards i was i was audibling this and okay. your author's note afterwards indicated that you you thought the idea of these crazy things that happen sometimes in history where you think somebody should have died with this this is so bad this was so huge and for the time how no one lost their life that the idea being maybe time travelers got in there and did something. I love that idea. And was that something you had for the whole series or was that specific to this book? Where did that idea come from? No, thanks. That's a great question. I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, there's always a temptation to say, to do a George Lucas, isn't there? And say, oh, I had it all mapped out way ahead. <laughs> um, clearly he didn't. Um, but, you know, um, that yeah, certain elements I did. And I think... That was definitely one of them. You know, for me, when I when I described it as kind of small stories, yeah, you're absolutely right. These crazy massive events are happening, and there's me saying I tell small stories. <laughs> I think for me, it's um, in the shadows. You know, in in the you can have this huge event. You know, the Titanic sinking. You know, whatever you want, whatever you want to choose, some huge event in history. But there are always going to be personal and very small stories within those tragedies. So the title of the book is The Observer Effect. And I really wanted to play around with this idea that simply by witnessing events, you know, there's a lot of events going on in the world right now. We're all watching that. We're all connected. We're all seeing it. And that kind of bakes those events into time. So I like the idea. I, I wanted to restrict myself. That's what I actually started with. I thought, I don't want to write a time travel story where time travelers can just do absolutely anything they like. There's nothing wrong right. with those stories. There's plenty of them. But I thought, what can I bring that's different? And I think what I loved uh, right really early on is this idea of telling a very small and very personal story in mm -hmm. the first book. And then when I came to write the sequel, I realized that that was going to be that was going to thematically drive the whole series. Right. So I didn't want to just focus on the, I didn't want to, I didn't want to keep going bigger and bigger and just blow stuff up for the hell of it. I wanted right. to Right. And then okay, you kind of just get a little crazy with it and you lose those small stories. Yeah, sure. And I think that's the problem. That's the problem with the back half of most of the big action movies, isn't it? You know, yeah. you, they get you invested in the characters and then they just, they just CGI the hell and blow the hell out of everything at the end. <laughs> And you lose interest, you know, because I think it, it is about the characters at the end of the day. Um, so what I wanted to do was to to base the stories always around real life events. 
So mm-hmm. book one, two, and three, you know, in book one, there's a, a, a flood uh, in, in his hometown. There's a, a building works that go around repairing after that flood, and that forms a, a key part of the story. In the second novel, there's the smog of London in the 60s that was um, uh, really terrible. You know, I, I, I love the idea of that, and I, I, I like this idea of, you know, stories within that. And then in this third book, the Opera House fire, it, as you say, it's it's real. Um, it was a real event. And when I I had this vision for this Opera House, it kept niggling me for years. And then when I discovered the Salle Le Pletier, the Opera House in Paris, that, as you say, it burned down and nobody died. It it really spoke to the theme that I wanted, which was this idea that time travelers they're kind of nipping back. They're like secret agents. They're like, they're like nipping back stuff gets done people get saved but no one kind of knows they're there and they can only do a very small amount of work you know they, they are not going to be able to go back and stop the opera house fire which i don't think is a spoiler for the book um you know that's that's laid out they tell you right long. away that they're that's not what they're trying to do and no matter how many exactly. times he's like oh this beauty don't try to save the opera ha- you can't do it everyone's seen it happen you can't mess um, with that leave it alone yeah and it's resistance i think um you know, we all know that feeling of a, of attraction, whether it's to an idea or a person or a thing or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. We feel that really strongly. I love the idea that time, these things that are baked in, it's going to do absolutely everything in its power to stop you. So it's it's pointless to try and stop these huge events. But within exactly. there, um, you know, one life can alter the course of history. You know, one single person can change the world. So just because they're they're trying to save one person in a uh, you know, in a huge disaster, doesn't mean that it's not important, and that potentially yeah. it could be involved in healing time. Exactly, and something you you talk about is that's why we can't do things like, well, why don't we just go kill Hitler? Because again, the observer effect. There was too much done. There are, I'm sure, many small stories that could be done around that, little lives that could be touched. But to be able to undo the great evil, it's not possible. No, um, but but like you and said, I, I like point, that restriction. I like that restriction as an author. That yes. That, forced me to find to find these these major events and then think okay how can I make you as a, a reader care about the people that I'm putting into this mix you know right um because I you know I think those small kindnesses you know those small little things you know I've, I've had I think about my life and when I've had advice at a very difficult juncture in my life sometimes just somebody saying the right sentence at just the right time I look back and think, if they hadn't stepped in and said that at that point, where would I be now? Oh. And I love that because that's tiny. It's a tiny little thing. And you can, it's like when a ship is heading heading from, oh, I don't know, from the UK to the US, let's say. Yes. If you Are we back on the Titanic that, again? We are. Okay. We are. I'm not going to, I'm never going to write, I'm not going to say never. But, you know, if you then take that ship and you just take it 0.5 degrees off to the side, over a long period of time, it's going to miss the destination completely. And I like the exactly. idea that these little, these tiny little nudges could be just enough. So, yeah, I like, I, I suppose that's what I mean by small. I've got it written on my wall, actually. It's small stories, big events. It's just oh, to remind me, it. keep it small. It's about it's about characters and human connection for me. Well, and it's something Joanne Paulson says, similar view to Margaret Mead, although more individual. Love that. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. 
And she's, yeah, she's completely correct. The, the other thing true. you mentioned, and you moved on to other things, but I want to go back. I love the idea of these time travelers being used as antibodies, that time travel is a way to heal the timeline, that there are these things that are just part of the timeline, but little things that can be changed and how the time travelers are part of that. Where did you come up with that idea? Because I've read and seen more time travel stuff than I can probably count. I also don't count very well, but I've never heard that concept. Was that something that you'd seen somewhere or that was unique to you that you wanted to weave in? And was this the first book that introduced it? Because I haven't gotten to read the first ones. So I wasn't sure if that was something the continuum tells Joseph in this book or if it had been brought in earlier too. Sure. It's definitely something that we, uh, you know, I had a lot of work to do in book two to kind of tease in the continuum, but not really, you know, I, did, I wanted to start, I, I've always, I, I'm very, uh, cognizant really of trying to pace the series because you know I've got mm -hmm. seven books I've got seven books mapped out and I it's always a it's always a balance of kind of saying okay I, I want to deliver a great story but I also want to just tease in some ideas so the idea of the immune system has been with me actually since the very beginning so when I first came up with the the concept of book one I did have an idea where I was going with with the wider story um, mm. I'm, a, I'm actually a real planner at heart so I, I had to know that before I could actually write the story and then I, I deliberately kept the, the book one story very small um, because I wanted that to really be a family story and then it well and you don't want to throw I mean if you've got seven books you don't want to throw everything in the first book because then there's no growth there's no growth to the series and sure. then it's all just feels like well you just spent your entire your entire ammo one book you're done what's the point where else can we go from here so i love yeah. that you can introduce these characters and some of the concepts in a more intimate way and then explore as the series goes on which but as big as number three goes i'm a little scared for number seven <laughs> <laughs> yeah well uh, i mean it's one of those things isn't it but you know you uh, do I always do I try and go bigger and better? I think you have to raise the stakes. I think as long as as long as readers care, I think it. You know, I'm not always going to necessarily want to. You know, to to have Blow things burning things around or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> no, but I think it, it is a case of, of raising the stakes. But I think just to go back to the idea of the immune system, I think that that fascinated me because because of the way our immune systems work. When I I kind of thought, um, again, it was one of those things when I was I was coming up with the, the concept if you like for the whole series and I was working on book one and I what I would do is I'd just plaster my my uh, writing room just with these kind of conceptual ideas and things that I knew would become you know, in my previous life I was into sort of branding and corporate kind of it was I was in the kind of corporate world so it's always about what are our values and what are our core yes. beliefs and all that kind of stuff our mission thought, statements <laughs> exactly and I thought actually as an author and, and for this series I want to do the same I want to make sure that I stay on target so I kind of came up with a bit of a mission statement for the series, which was, you know, small characters, big, big events and that kind of thing. But another another one of them was that time decides. And mm. that was one that I kept coming back to. I kept coming back to that because I think it would be hell on earth if we could decide. Exactly. And that was and change one of the and all that kind of stuff. Well, and that's one of the lovely things about it, because I know that's something Joseph keeps asking. So it's his, he asks his partner, Gabrielle, in this, and he asks other people, well, well, how do you decide which things? And they have to keep telling him, we aren't the ones doing this. We aren't choosing these these times that we're going back. These are the times that time itself needs it to correct. And that, in a way, time itself is sentient. And I know I've joked, like, time is just a construct, and you're just making it sentient. So it's like somewhere in there, 
you've given it a personality and it's it's starting to be the one to call the shots. But I like that because I like the idea that it's not, well, I'm going to go back and fix the things in my own life. Because as we start this book, Joseph has a lot of things in his own life that are not really going well. And he's stuck with the ramifications of his past time traveling and some of the past things that have happened, including a woman who's not exactly happy with him <laughs> at all. This is true. Yeah. So I wanted to... Um... I knew that I wanted a, a kind of love interest because I, because the poor guy was so lonely in the first book. You know, he'd been through a, a hell of a, a lot of grief and bereavement and all of this kind of thing. And I think, um, you know, I knew that I wanted a love interest, but I also knew that nothing comes easy. And particularly for a time traveler, you know, if he's uh, there's, a, there's a particular scene that um, that really inspired me. Um, I mean, the film Back to the Future is the reason I write novels. I mean, that's just, it's as simple as that. It's as simple I as love that. It. Don't talk about, I don't want to talk about the second and third film, but the, the no, first and, film. And I love is, that you're not even quoting like, <laughs> oh, great literature or Shakespeare. No, no, no it's I Back know. to the I'm Future. A, I'm an uneducated heathen, I'm afraid. Um, no, but yeah, I, for I, me, I it's uh, movies are where my inkwell gets topped up, actually. I mean, I love. I love fiction. I listen to audiobooks quite a bit, particularly, you know, Ray, obviously. Um, but, you know, movies are the thing that uh, there are thousands in my head. And that in that definitely and uh, basically that's where that's where it all comes from. And there's a scene in Back to the Future at the very end where he's like, Mom, you're so thin. And Dad, and you're this, that, and the other. And he's kind of like he's back and he's he's got his whole family back. And they're all like you're wearing a suit and he's like I always wear a suit to the office Marty Marty's got no idea what's going on he's got absolutely no idea what's going on and they don't and know I why Marty's acting like a weirdo no and the thing is everyone kind of walks out walks out the film because you know he kisses Jennifer at the end and the doc turns up and everything's great I walked out of the cinema kind of thinking two days and his family are going to think he's had a brain hemorrhage yeah he's going to end up in one of those hug me jackets and in a very yeah. padded room they're going to say, Marty Poor doesn't Marty. even remember what we had for breakfast yesterday. You know, he, he wouldn't <laughs> remember anything. So he I doesn't thought, know the name of our dog or that we have a dog. Any no, and, and the kind of darker side of, of Back to the Future, which I'm not necessarily saying they needed to explore in, in dark depths. I don't, we don't need a joker movie. version of Back to the Future. But, you know, I think what I, what I wanted to explore was the idea that Marty McFly, the version who lived that life with successful, happy parents and everything was fine, was vaporized on that morning that he got back. Because he thought, replaced himself? He replaced himself. So here's he the Marty, himself. here's the sad Marty who's back and he's completely <laughs> replaced Marty. himself. And you kind of go, okay, so that's an entire person you kind of wiped out. And to me, that I wanted to mine into that. So therefore to come back to alexia the kind of love interest in the stories i just thought nothing is going to come easy and i want to take again it's about pacing i want to take my time you know i think relationships um you know they take time and they can be you know they can be difficult and i thought if and also for a time traveler you know at any point if, if we ever get to the point where that's being kind of discussed openly i mean it's going to be complicated you've got to be up for that 
Well, Laura Jacko says, I love seeing how different authors handle time travel. There are so many ways to do it. And I I did want to ask you and and bother you with your favorite time travel tropes that you are not using in your books. You already said Back to the Future. So that has half of them with the silly device and the mad scientist adventure. And you do have kind of, I would not say that you have any mad scientists in there. You do have a kind of a surfer (laughs) character. who Yeah, we've got some scientists going on. Yeah, but but I like how you don't take, hey, here's all the stereotypes and, and here they are with their little gadgets and gizmos. You have people who kind of feel more like they've wandered out of other 80s movies, like maybe Point Break <laughs> instead, of, nice. instead, of, instead of any more classic time travel or sci-fi movies. So yeah. are, there others, are there others coming for us that we will see more kinds of things, more tropes, or are there other tropes that you like from other things that you go, I'm not going to explore, but I do like? Is there going to be a hot tub? No hot tub time uh, machines. Actually, there is a hot tub. <laughs> a there hot is tub. a hot tub, but it's no, not involved. Just, it, it's not. It's not in any way linked to time travel. It's therapeutic, and it's on his balcony. And I, I exactly, yeah, it's just the hot I'm tub. Moving with Joe, yeah. that sounds really nice. He's got an antique yeah. shop. Exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah. In terms of the kind of tropes, I guess I, like I said earlier, I didn't want to do the 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 big kind of if we don't you know we we have to go back and stop this entire thing otherwise the world's all over although i'm kind of heading that direction i mean i think you're getting bigger yeah i guess i am i mean the the, the overall concept is you know if you think about the fact that time has created an immune system yes. and when you said earlier it's sort of sentient i like the idea that you know when you think about your immune system you don't have to think about healing a cut your body takes mm-hmm. care of that is it sentient? It's a, well, it's doing its thing. I am. It knows what to do. Yeah, this we are, money. but it is. But I have it isn't. to put so the neosporin go, on, or sure. You know, kiss but, you know your your immune system does what it needs to do. So, I think once I'd hit on this idea that actually time decides what needs to be done, that the immune system is is healing time. Mm. We just need we just need to do our bit. You know, the time travelers right. are the 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 anti antibodies in, within the immune system. So I guess once I'd got that, I didn't really feel like I'd really seen anyone quite do it that way. So I think by I leaning into that, that felt like that was my thing. And therefore, I suppose in some ways I've tried to, I've tried, I suppose, to avoid some of the tropes. However, however, I I do love the, I mean, I just watched the Adam Project on Netflix. You know, I love all of the the futuristic kind of the big chamber with the huge machine and all the kit mm-hmm. and all the cool gadgets. I do love all of that stuff. But I thought if I'm going to do it, I don't want to go full on sci-fi. I want this to feel so realistic that people mm. just say, you know what, this just feels like it could actually happen. And I don't believe that people in 200 years are necessarily going to be walking around with huge pointed necklines on their long trench coats that we're all going to have neon neons instead of eyeballs you know i don't think it's necessarily going to be that different to it than it is now we're still going to have people living out their lives doing their thing and they're just going to have extra stuff in the same way that we've got extra stuff to make our lives easy the fact that you and i are having this conversation now all i've done really is just extrapolate out how i think that would work if it was instant communication across relative universal space time. Exactly. Well, and I laughed because so one of the things that we got for Christmas around here, it was my my husband's Christmas gift is he got a new VR set, which replaced one that he returned a few years ago because it didn't quite work the way he wanted it to. And you so have a scene where 
Uh, he's he's got the Oculus. I don't know. I'd have to look to see okay. what it is. But I've I've played a few rounds of Beat Saber, but that that's about it. He's done other things <laughs> on it. Love Beat and, Saber. You know, last night I'm I'm reading to my 11 year old in the next room, and we had to close the door because we can hear some upbeat, crazy music coming from the room next door, and it didn't go with what we were reading. And I'm like, Dad, Dad's on the Dad's on his headset again, and he's over there doing yeah. this. And I'm like, Bedtime in three minutes. He's like, Uh huh, yeah. So I closed the door, <laughs> put out the music, but the part you do you have parts in there where because he's communicating across time joe has like an overlay of where he is versus where he actually is physically standing and i'm like mm. that's what the vr headset does so i don't trip over stuff it has the same grid lines and it tells me exactly sure. where i am to keep me in that space so it was very easy to project that and i'm going so so nick must have a VR headset and it's probably playing Beat Saber right now. <laughs> I don't, you have a VR headset? Are you? Are you I've doing? Do, yeah, I've I've kind of yeah I've I've certainly tinkered. I love <laughs> and I do love all that. I do love all that kind of thing. And I you know I think the you know the, obviously the big buzzword right now is is metaverse and everyone's going to basically oh, no, we're all going to charge you for saying that. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, sure. Me. And I yeah. and I kind of think uh, <laughs> you know I, I think in some ways you and I are in the metaverse now. You know, we're we are. ways of communicating. I, people will do what they want to do. They'll go to where it's cool. They'll go to where <laughs> it's fun. They'll go to where it's actually useful. So I kind of think if it's useful to to be immersed, I think human communication is where. I get interested. I couldn't care less about shopping in the metaverse or going to parties in the metaverse. I'm like, really, that sounds dystopian and horrible to me. But yes. the idea of if you and I could be sat in a more three dimensional environment and it didn't feel like I had a, a briefcase on my head, then I'm up for it. <laughs> It's not quite that heavy, but I do understand. I think the number one purchase my husband has made since then, besides more games, is he keeps getting new things to adjust the headset. So it has like a fan on it and a different clip in the back and all this. I'm going, but what is all this? He's like, oh, but it feels better now. And he sticks it on me like, okay, it feels better. But every time I take yeah. it off, it takes my glasses with me. And then I can't see for a while. So I'm just like, <laughs> help me. Help me get out of this. I'm stuck in the metaverse. But I do like that fact that it is for communication. And whether it's something like this platform where you're in the UK, I'm in Orange, California. I know that I joke that half of my my friends, I, most of my friends are not in my own time zone. I know where they are and we're never in the same time zone. And so when I'm making breakfast in the morning, that's when I usually am talking to my friends in the UK because it's later in the day for them. And I don't talk to them at night because it's like 2 a.m. for them and they probably don't want that. And, and that's just kind of the reality now where when I was growing up, that was not something that we could have been doing because what we were going to be doing a long distance phone call for $8 a minute. I mean, I wouldn't have even had these people as friends and especially in the writing community. And I'm friends with writers literally all over the planet. I baited for mm -hmm. someone who's from Malaysia. How would I have gotten to do that? a few years ago. I wouldn't have. So I'll, no. I'm all in favor of technological advances that makes us a smaller planet and more connected. I'm not so sure about talking to people from the future, but if it happens, I'm not going to say no. I, I, I like that. <laughs> and ha Hallow Williams says, I love time travel books. Time Traveler's Wife is one of my favorites. So I'm not mm, so sure about I think, um, romance. Yeah. yeah, I think um, that certainly that book had a, a huge uh, impact on me as well. Um, I think seeing how she, uh, again, I mean, I think that's a really good example of kind of crossover, I guess, a crossover mm -hmm. time travel novel where it, it, it was, I had friends who were reading that who who would never read sci-fi, for example. So that was, right. she clearly managed to cross over. She, 
she created a romance again that's a small story you know almost the point where you know i can remember some people saying that they felt quite it was it ambiguous that he was even a time travel i'm like yeah no he was but you know it's kind of makes sense <laughs> it's a it's a kind of very small very character driven story and i think when i read I read that one. I also read Stephen King's JFK time travel story. And yes, I think 11, 22, that, 63. That kind of reassured me that first person time travel that you really kind of care about is definitely yes. possible. <laughs> possible. Well, and and he, he takes that as far as the small change to the big change, because in that we start with, OK, well, can I fix this one smaller story before mm -hmm. I'm supposed to, as the, the title gives away, address the assassination of JFK, which yeah, the I way he kind of unwraps that. Sorry, sorry to talk. No, no, you you but can unwrap way, it. You can the, unwrap the way that. Meat. Yeah, I mean the kind of the way that he kind of you know I, I think from a craft perspective, I mean that's something that I've worked. I've been doing this for about six years now, and that's that's probably the thing I've worked on the most. You know, I've got a shelf behind me just full of books about how to write because I think you. You, even when you've written a novel, you don't know how to write a novel. Every single one is completely different. So I, have I think it when in I my notes here, author's note, you can't read my writing. It's terrible. I know how to do it because this was in your author's note about how you said, I know how to do it now, right? Wrong. Apparently, it doesn't work the way, at least not for me. <laughs> and then you go on. So, yeah. so go ahead. You're, you're beating me to the punch because I don't usually take a lot of notes, but I'm like, I had to stop and get that down verbatim from the audio. Oh, cool. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm no, I think that's been, yeah, it's a it's a it's a funny one, really. I mean, you would think that, you know, I think just to start off with the Stephen King novel, I think it was uh, I'm, I'm you know, when I read a book now um, or when I watch a movie or anything, I'm, I'm always kind of working. And that sounds a bit sad, but it's actually not. I, I kind of love it so much. I don't care. But yeah. I, I can I'm sort of looking at things through two lenses. So I'm looking I'm watching it as a. I'm going to say watching it. Let's just let's just stick with movies. So I'm, I'm watching the, the film and I'm experiencing it and I'm enjoying it, but I'm also analyzing it. And I can't help yes. that now. I'm breaking down. Why does something work? Maybe why doesn't something work quite so well? Um, <laughs> but, you know, often it's that's a really good. I think of them as like little story engines. And I'm kind of like, OK, that's a really nice little story engine. That's put him in a difficult situation. He's now got a dilemma between those two characters. And I'm constantly kind of analysing it. And I think when I read the, the JFK story, I can never remember the date. But anyway, the JF, Stephen King's JFK one. 11 I'm not good 11, with numbers. 22, for some reason, I remember that because it's a book title. <laughs> I think the way that he unwrapped... Yeah, the way that he unwrapped the rules of time travel in that novel. I mean, obviously, Stephen King is a master of his craft, but I was in awe of that. You know, the way that he bit by bit explained that, you know, you carve that on a tree, it's going to be there later. You go back, you change something else, but you forgot the tree. The tree's not done anymore. And you kind of he builds up these rules that make it and at the end of every every sort of section of that book. You kind of go, oh, so that means if he doesn't do this, then that won't work. So I think I think that's a really incredible book for, in terms of craft. And I think, yes. so, I, you know, I'm, I'm always learning the craft and I'm always making, I've got, you know, notes coming out of my ears in terms of that well, works, and this works, that's fair, good. Stephen King's book is about this big. So it's about equivalent to three normal size books. So it sure. is, he had time to do all that because his book is massive. It is massive. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't tend to write short these days, but well, the, um, stories he just if it's a if it's a novel it's a huge one it. if, it's, yeah. if it's a short story there we go and we just but so you've got your craft notes 
Yeah, you've got you've got your craft notes and you're stacking through these and you're working on this series. And so mm. you're saying you'd think after book two, book three should come easy. And then it's like, oh, just kidding. This is like starting all over. again. Yeah, I think every <laughs> for me anyway, you know, I, uh, I'd i written a couple of novels before I started the Joseph Bridgman's one. So I'm into kind of I guess I'm working on my sixth now. So you kind of you, you, people would say, oh, OK, so you know what you're doing. And you kind of say, yeah, look, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be silly about it. Yes, I do know what I'm doing. I do know how to. I mean, one of the things I think is when somebody's run a marathon and someone, I almost said childbirth the other day, but what the hell do I know? But, you know, the, the people say it, don't they? It's like childbirth. You kind of forget the pain and you kind of think, oh, let's do all that again. Or, but I think with a, something like a marathon, you know, when you're running a marathon, knowing you can do it is part of the battle. So, finishing yes. finishing your first novel is a hell of a well you've had this i'm sure you know finishing that first novel you kind of go okay i can actually do that and when you each book you do you're there's a separate part of my confidence that builds up on the back of that that kind of says okay yes. i know i can do this and i know that i can get a book done but every single book i've followed a different process and i yep. i and every single book i've gone through the same process so my partner Kay has seen me euphoric as I've come up with the idea and I'm saying and I'm babbling on about all this amazing stuff this book's gonna have. and then she just laughs makes me a cup of tea and gives me a hug when my hand head is my hand saying I can't do this I'm gonna have to call it all off and um I, I heard uh who's the I'm thinking of the composer now there's a uh, Hans Zimmer so Hans Zimmer talked about that uh, I'm not comparing myself to Hans Zimmer but he's a genius. Well, he could but... possibly compose soundtracks for your movies because he oh, does. Great that, ones. Well, that would be that would be heaven, that would be the ideal. He would be my perfect. Yeah, he would actually. But he uh, when he he was asked to to do the Gladiator soundtrack, he um he he almost spoke to Ridley Scott and told him that he couldn't do it. I mean, he went through absolute torture, and he says he does every single time. Oh. I think it's the I think it's the creative curse in a way. I mean, I just think if you care, if you really yes. care. That's, you I know, think, I the key. It's, yeah, it's not I can't just put you out can't... a book unless I'm absolutely, unless I've given it my absolute all. I'm not going to put that exactly book out. That's exactly right. It's. I think that the people who can, and I don't want to, I don't want to speak badly about anybody's process because we all have different ways of getting through course, it mentally. Yeah. But I know there are people who are just like, I can sit down and I do it, and whether the words are coming or not, they're done, and that was my job. And that's just never been how my process works. And there are times when it's like the process isn't there, and I could sit down and write, and I will have to delete all of those words because they're just not happening. And then other mm. times the faucet's just on and flowing, and I'm like, I've always said, if I could just keep the faucet on or off and turn it <laughs> off when I don't have time, like I know it was one of those things where – I just finished my fourth novel in the series I'm writing um, last Thursday and it should have been done earlier in the week, but I had kids who all decided they wanted to get sick and miss various days. Like I was ready Monday, two of them were home Tuesday. They'll do that. They will do Tuesday, that. Okay. I got a little bit then. And then Wednesday, another one comes back from being sick and I'm going, where are you guys conspiring against mom? Cause I thought you liked me, but again, I can't just turn it on and off and it would have been nice to turn it off rather than have the head going crazy during that point in time. So I, I get it. Like every time the process is a little different, every time when the story has to be a little different, because you're not just, you're not just replicating the prior novel. Each novel is mm. a little different. Even if you're dealing like you were writing a series, I was writing a series. 
we're dealing with characters we know and we should be able to, but then that's another challenge is, oh, but is this true to how the characters would have been in the prior story? You can't just be yeah. like, well, I'm just gonna make them do whatever because then people are like, Joe would not do that. I wouldn't mm -hmm. expect Amy to do this. This isn't what I expect anybody to be doing in your series. That's not what the continuum does. You need to be able to have people know what they're getting with these books and if you totally pulled a oh by the way in this one everyone dies and joe's an axe murderer people would have been like nick what are you doing this is not what i signed up for this is not what i signed up for me <laughs> oh and and Hallis, that they will do that she's she's correct Hallis is a fellow yeah. author and she, she knows what readers are going to do and or beat you up with your own book over the head if you start messing around with reader expectations which is just yeah i've been through I, I went through uh, earlier on you know in in the the sort of series that when i was when i was independently publishing them i actually had a, a really good team of readers who kind of were arc and kind of beta readers you know and wait yeah, do you they, say I, beta? do you say beta be, instead of beta be, beta readers yeah like the ones okay so beta i joke we say beta which i think of the little fish and then you okay. say pizza, like it rhymes with pizza pan. And I like it yeah. because it's your accent. I'm going to start calling it that too. And if anybody says, I already get called out for using inappropriately English phrases as an American. I get called out for using American phrases. So we're probably. Do you really? Out. Can we just swap? One of my betas is always like, Allison, they don't call it petrol here. Allison, they don't call it uni <laughs> here. You can't call it trainers. And I'm like, all of our American words for those are stupid. And I'm going to use the English ones if I want to. So there. <laughs> So we can swap so, yeah. we can have all the American ones. Let's do I'm it. I'm taking British ones. So your betas, your betas. What were what were they saying back when you were doing this as more? Yeah, I was just yeah, I was just thinking about the you know the kind of process of of novel writing, and I think I put my um, I just put, I was just thinking about how I put them through hell. Really, I gave them a very very early draft of one of the books, and yeah, they basically correctly pulled me over the coals and said okay that's not right that wouldn't happen this person wouldn't do this this person wouldn't do that mm -hmm. you know and it was a it was a learning it was a learning thing I think one of the I think one of the benefits actually of of the of getting getting the publishing deal was the fact that I was actually then able to work with a really really good editor and I think that's oh, been love it. That's been a baptism of fire for me in, in absolutely the, the, the best way. You know, that's because uh, I, I want to get better. You know, I, as I said, I've mentioned it already. You know, I take the craft of writing really seriously. I never imagined myself doing this. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm i not exactly academic or anything like that. So for me, I've always got this sort of You're chip on my shoulder, future, which is not Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. You know, it. it's, yeah, uh, it. yeah. I'm just, uh, I don't know, Marty. I'm just, uh, it's, I just don't think I could take the rejection. You know, it's that kind of, there's that in me as well, that kind of paranoia of like, you know, not being good enough. I've got the, the imposter syndrome that most authors have, I think. So always trying to work on the craft and always wanting to get better at storytelling. And so, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I'm always trying to work on, I think. Well, I want to ask... Yeah, the editor is where it really helps. You know, having an editor that... meant that I could really dive in and, and get, and just learn. I was so up for learning and I was up for rolling up my sleeves and working hard. Oh, Laura, I think is appreciative of your back in the future. <laughs> I don't think I've got the line right, but it's something like that, isn't it? It's, cl it's close. Okay. She's like, wait, 
what if they say, get out of here, kid, you got no future. Yeah, there that's you. it. There we go. She can probably do it better because Laura also cosplays and I'm always seeing her do line readings. And she actually, she's actually who I want to bribe to do my audio books at some point ah, because she, okay. she does, she does one of the, I wouldn't say villains, but one of the antagonists in the first book so well, it's frightening. And I'm like, you are her. She's like, did you base it on me? And I said, absolutely <laughs> not. This is just a coincidence that your name is awfully close to her. I'm sorry, uh, but, but I wanted to ask about the whole, you went from being an indie author to a traditionally pubbed author and you mm -hmm. re-released the first book. And there are lots of authors who are indie and then go traditional, or they continue to do both, maybe in one genre for one and then another genre under your, even a different name for another. And I haven't heard, it isn't very common where someone gets a book deal for a book that's already been out as indie and then gets republished. Can you tell us how that happened and who did you have to, I don't know, was there a voodoo doll involved or some kind of time travel? How did you make that happen? Because that's actually the dream for lots of folks. Yeah, and I'm not gonna, I'm gonna be honest, it was the dream for me as well. You know, I think I, I, I quite like, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I've got a publisher for these novels, but it's only the novels. So to, to me, you know, as an author, whether I end up being hybrid, whether I go back to being indie, I don't know. So there's there's definitely pros and cons for for both. I think you know I was very happy. You know when I first started writing, indie felt a bit like punk. It felt like a movement. You know there was this new thing happening, and that we were really kind of challenging, I suppose, the gatekeepers. And you didn't need permission to to publish. And thank God for that. You know, thank I'm, I'm so happy about that. And I think for anyone who's thinking about writing a novel, I have lots of people contact me actually I feel like I've got a parallel universe where I'm a sort of uh, a sort of writing coach because uh, you people, do put think, your email address at the end of the book well and you're I like I read it I'm like Nick are you crazy did you actually I am just crazy I do private email? I mean now I just want to start sending you memes just to be like hi Nick what's going on <laughs> I, won't, so I, I think I believe in karma put it that way I believe in karma and I think I want to, if I can help somebody, I want to try and help somebody. And I know the torture that I went through when I first considered writing a novel. And, you know, there were tears, you know, it's hard work. It's definitely hard work. And I think if anyone is is at that point, that, that, that it's so delicate. Yes. I think, you know, a creative, a creative vision, a creative soul, everybody I've met who's in any way creative, deep down, well, anyone, not everyone, most <laughs> seem to be quite, that, that, you know, that, that element of them is quite delicate. And I think when you've got this idea, it doesn't take much. It was like when you're a kid at school and a teacher kind of says, you can't sing, you can't dance, you can't do this, you're terrible at that. That stuff or your parents or whatever, you know, that stuff really goes in and it can it can be life damaging. So Absolutely. to me, if, if anybody if anybody comes to me and, and wants some help, I always want to try and help them if I can. So, yeah, I have this kind of <clears throat> sort of parallel life of being a bit of a, a coach for people if I can do it. Um, I've completely lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? Well, we Why were am talking, I talking about, about the helping journey people? from indie to trad because you you re-released the first book and it changed its title. But I'm assuming That's that right. was pretty much the big thing that changed was the title to be able to do that. Because so I, I will speak from my own personal experience. My first book was with a small publisher, and then we parted ways, and I've republished that. And at the time, my agent specifically said, I cannot shop this and I cannot shop the rest of the series. I already had a second book written a third book in process and a rest of a series planned. And I was told 
won't be touched because this was with a small press and traditional publishers have no interest in that. And so mm -hmm. I just have, I basically said, okay, for this series, I'm indie and I will do that. And meanwhile, sure. I will continue to do my speculative stuff down the, the traditional pipeline. And that's where I've yep. been going so far. And that but, was my, um, that was absolutely my expectation. You know, when I started right, so, writing the series, I was a, you know, I, I published them. Actually, the first time I published the book, I released it in episodes because Stephen King did that on oh. Green Mile, and I thought yes, I'm going to try it. So in I my every yeah every six <laughs> weeks I would publish an episode of this time travel story that was in my head, and it was a if like I say it was it was indie. It felt like the punk, punk. thing. I just it was exciting. I had the music cranked out. I was just blasting out <laughs> my stories, and I just loved it. Um, I kind of wrapped it all up into a novel, and I thought, you know what, I'm not done with this character. I want to I want to write another one. And at that point, I was hitting a bit of a crossroads with my my kind of career, and I thought, actually, uh, this is this is what I want to do full time. So as an indie, I went full time. It was absolutely nuts. I couldn't afford it. It was a stupid idea, but I loved it. <laughs> uh, and then and then just completely unexpectedly, um, I was contacted by Blackstone, so the publisher in the US. Um, and does a lot of audio. Shout out to the audio. A lot of audio. Yeah, yeah, a lot of audio. And you know, I wasn't. Yes, I kind of secretly was, I think, was pining for, I guess, some some form of recognition is the wrong word, but just validation, I guess. Valid, thank you very much. Validation. So I guess I was looking for some kind of validation. It's hard as an indie to get that. Yes. Um, and but I just kind of thought. that expectation that without those gatekeepers and that stamp of approval that you're somehow still lesser than. And I know that yeah. that's completely that's not valid. That idea. Totally. Because but that, that's where I was at. That's the point that I was at. Yeah, that's exactly. the point I was at in my own kind of journey. And I was I thought I was looking for that validation. And ironically, I think I just got to the point where I thought, you know what, I don't need it. I'm going to do this anyway. And I don't care. So and maybe that's, that's when. Well, when, that's the trick. Don't care. Validation. You'll get the validation. <laughs> you get the validation. That's karma. That's that's the way it works. But it's the whole, anyway, you're not so, looking for a date. That's you right. Just just be cool, man. And it comes along. <laughs> So, uh, you know, no. I apparently, apparently this is the way it played out. And I, I if this is wrong, I'm, maybe somebody will eventually find, hear this and tell me it's completely wrong. No, no, but no. apparently someone took a copy of the book. So I guess this, I, I remember I was telling you all of this. So this is the reason if you're, if anyone is thinking about publishing in India and they kind of think, oh, I don't, I only want to do it if I'm going to be traditionally, properly published and all that kind of stuff. I was very happy and depublished. I actually created paperback editions i loved it all you know i wanted it to be as pro as i could be i actually paid an editor and a proofreader to do it i treated it as a business i took it seriously i spent money you know i didn't make any money i spent all of it on the colors <laughs> like, and the the editing you spent the money to make sure the product was comparable to the traditional publish because you had exactly. all those same pieces. The editor, the I'd never, I'd never written. You know, I'd not cover. been to exactly. I'd not been to university. I hadn't done like some great big creative writing course. I thought I, I don't know everything, so let's get other eyes on this. Let's get professionals to look at it. So I went through that process, and then somebody took it to a family barbecue, I believe, <laughs> of the boss at Blackstone, handed it to him, and said, "You need to publish this guy." That's that apparently is kind of, I, apparently and I don't know if that's true but that's what that's kind of what I've heard so they got in touch with me and said look we're interested let's talk about it there are thoroughly great bunch of people we just had a few conversations and we talked about what it was going to mean and then then I, I've done it all back to front then I got my agent because I didn't know what I was doing so I said look <laughs> I need like, an agent to, oh. to make sure I you know that we negotiate correctly and that we that it that it's all done correctly I didn't know how to do it so I, I got my agent um, involved and he's fantastic as well so 
yeah, it kind of all reverse engineered itself to the point. And then I know it's quite it's it's not normal to basically have two independently published books that have been out. One of them had been out for a couple of years to then get published. And it was a huge risk for the publisher because, you know, they were worried, I suppose, that, you know, had it done its thing. The fact that I went back and rewrote those books, I say rewrote, heavily edited them is just because by that point I'd marinated enough in the, the author life and the series mm -hmm. itself. I tonally and thematically knew where I wanted to go with the series. And oh, as I say, I'd, yeah. written, I'd written that first book in such a flurry that I kind of thought, I, I, don't, I don't love it when people say, oh, I want to go back and tinker with what I did before. <laughs> but I knew that if this series was going to have a chance, there was consistent feedback that I had from readers, even though they loved it. The consistent feedback was always, it's so slow to get going. Don't give up on oh. this. It gets really good. And I, I'm a big believer in feedback. So, you know, if, read, yeah. if a lot of readers are saying that, these these were people giving me five-star reviews, but they were saying, gosh, I'm almost threw this book across the room at 25% in. And that's uh, just that's just an experience of me as an author. You know, I, did, I didn't, I wasn't grabbing people quick enough. I thought I had to do a lot of work first. So, you know, I did fixes that I think were necessary and they were up for it. They said, look, we're going to give you an editor. We want to work with you on this. So they've been great to work with. And by the time we finally got to, this one. This one. See, I have today. it. I have it on my phone, so I can't. I can't really. Sh I mean, I my crack screen. <laughs> it and actually just, arrived in the post today. Yeah. I'm having. I'm having a George McFly day. You know, this is the books arrived in a box in the post today. I love so, it. Yeah, Happy it's actually out today. Thank you very much. So yeah, by the time I got to do the third book, I'd been working with my editor a while, and you know, I was in my stride at that point. So. Yeah, super excited to actually finally get something new out. There's been people who've been with me for years who've had nothing from me. I'm like the slowest <sighs> author on the planet. Like, no, believe me, there are people who are who are still mad because a certain video game was released instead of finishing a, an epic series, but that's none of my business. Are we talking Elden Ring? Yeah, I don't play the game, and all of us are just like, you know, you don't get to go do video games instead of finish series, but apparently you do when start you have playing, start writing. Life. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> exactly. I know. And there, and there are others that I will not name names of people who have multiple years between books, and we're all just like, um, eventually hell, we're going to forget what happened, and <laughs> I don't know who this redhead character is anymore, but I think I can pronounce his name. Maybe I won't say more than that, but no, I mean, I think there's also different expectations about how quickly indie authors are expected to be cranking out books versus traditional mm. authors. Where there is kind of an expected gap between books. And of course that varies by publisher and how quickly I've talked to authors where they're like, yes, I got this multi-book deal, but then I got this other deal over here. And now I've got three books due within this year and I'm going to go lock myself in a basement for a while. Bye-bye. Mm. And we're lucky they had time to talk to us because they sit there and don't even have time to come up for air. So I, I think most Yeah, I can't do it. I can't do it. I mean, for me, the, the indie the indie schedule got to the point where I kind of thought, I don't know if I can really, if I want to make a career out of this, I'm not sure. I was actually at that point where I was thinking, I don't know if I can compete at the level, uh, you know, you've got whale readers who, you know, are, 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 are basically reading th those books like Plankton and they're going through like, you know, 10 a week. Uh, yeah, they're just I don't know why I just up, said that. that's what it is with the that's baleen whale. That's what it is. They are whale, you know, they're whale mm -hmm. readers, and I'm like, yeah. I can't compete at that level. It takes me a no. year to write a book. It's just the way it is. Well, and and there are writers who are able to do that, who just can 
just churn it out and it's high quality and that's amazing. And I wish I could be able to do that at that speed. And I know I joke because people say, Oh, you, do you do write really fast? And I said, I do when that faucet's on, but Mm -hmm. I can't control turning that faucet on. And so Mm -hmm. I can go from like, I've been struggling at this word count for a while. And then I'm done with the book in two weeks, which is incredibly fast, but it took me eight months to get to that point. It's yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, the writing of a book, you know, the, the, Again, I'm mentioning Stephen King again, obviously a big influence, but, you know, he says a book should take about three months to write. I, I think that's probably about right. It obviously depends on the length, but, you know, a 90, a 90, you know, 80 to 90,000 word book, three months, you're right. going to go, okay, but my my problem is that I can do that. In fact, that's about right for me. Yeah. But I, I, I have to have, uh, I need nine nine months to plan it. <laughs> oh, so because well, with your planning it, so and and okay, and Laura's making fun of me because she said Allison does write incredibly fast because she's one of my beta readers and she also takes the cake for she's like I'm your slowest beta reader, but you're also my favorite, so I love you and it's fine. Um, but, but she does she does know how quickly I can sometimes be in that groove where I'll be like um, I'll start sending you the early chapters and by the time you get them done being read, I will have actually finished the rest of the book, so we'll catch up. But again, it's and and Halla says she's the same rush and rest and everybody's process is different but that is true when you're dealing with the people in the indie community there is this expectation of you have to have a lot of books coming out quickly in order to do that and a lot of them will have these yeah. massive series and just keep coming through and if you're one who takes longer to either plan it or needs more time in between that's really hard in order to do that and there's also the expectation that you won't really gain a readership until you have like a series done because of those binge readers who are like well tell me when I can go eat seven books in one setting and you've got to cater to those people too. So I I think sometimes it's hard because there's sometimes the expectation that indie readers want one kind of book, traditional readers want another kind of book. And I think a lot of people would like it where it's just, you can choose either path and the people will find your books who like those kind of books, regardless of like indie is like this, traditional is like this. There shouldn't be that distinction, but sometimes the business model forces it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, you know, my, I, I have, my mantra is just to write what I love. So, yes, I will. I will always be writing books, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know whether I'll be able to. You know, who knows? I mean, it's, it is a business at the end of the day. You know, I've got to make money. So for me, you know, I, I maybe I think hybrid appeals. I quite like the idea of maybe writing some shorter fiction, and and uh, you know, I'm never going to say cranking it out because I just can't do that. It just it's takes just not you. too long. I can't do it. Yeah, but so I will do what I what I can do, and that's that's makes it makes it a lot easier then. And you well, know, for a long time, I was doing I was working a, another job, and uh, you know, I was writing in the mornings and and doing a different job in the afternoons and stuff like that. So, you know, you don't have to go all in straight away, and I may have to go back and and do other kind of work to support that. Who knows? You know, I, I but for me, it's just about doing making sure that I'm creating stories that that I want to read and therefore and that seems that so far that served me well you know people people say that they enjoy reading the books so I'm happy well I, I was going to say author coach because if you're already kind of doing that <laughs> then, then down the line you're like oh I'm going to step back and also do author coaching on the side for a small yeah. fee yeah it's it, it's one of the other things I mean the you know uh the the two things well one thing's got to happen so it needs to get made into a film or a tv series that's that's something I put out into the world every single day. And I know that's a dream for a lot. I will of add that. I will add chances, that. I mean, the chances of that happening are so tiny, but you know, it's out there. Uh, that's how I write. 
you know, that's that's how I write them. It's I very see. cinematic. I mean, you describe these oh, things. I can completely see them. Um, so fan casting, who is Joseph Bridgerman? So that's an interesting one. To start with, it was um, Mark Ruffalo, but not so much these days. Because you know, he's it's an not age the thing, isn't it? because he's the Hulk. He's, he's, I, <laughs> No, not because he's the Hulk. I think he's probably probably just an age thing. And yeah. then other times I'm like, you know, is it a British actor? Is it kind of like, you know, Martin Freeman? Okay, is it, Martin Freeman, amazing. Yeah. Okay, but he's also a hobbit. Here's the thing. Mm. So I listened to it and you had the amazing Ray Porter as your narrator. And it took me a minute. I'm like, I know I know this voice. And then I had to look it up. I'm like, yeah, because the very first audiobook I ever listened to was, was narrated by him. And I've probably had four or five others by other authors. He does a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Joseph has an American accent in there because Ray does. And then he does accents for other people. Should Joseph have a British accent or was that a narration choice that you're like, okay, Ray, I'm going to let you get away with it because he just won an Audi for doing Hail Mary. So he can do what he wants. I don't know. So in I think it's head, a good, yeah. should. that's something that I, he and I talked about. So it was definitely a choice. Okay. Um, and I, that, I have to be honest, that was, a really, really difficult decision. Ray is not a difficult decision. Ray's an instant yes. No, he's Ray's right. Because like, he does so, British accents in there, but he's not. Yeah, gorgeous. sure. Yeah, but I wanted really him to of. feel as, I wanted him to be as relaxed as possible. And to be honest, yeah. you know, I, I'd actually had, um, you know, in my mind, it, it was going to be a, a British narrator. But then I listened to the Bobbyverse books and Ray just captured that kind of quirky, kind of first person thing so well right i actually the one thought says, we are you know what? We are. i yeah i care so much about the performance that um i'm gonna i'm just gonna let that go and uh, ray comes with his own audience and i have to say at that point i really needed the books to 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 find an audience yeah and the u.s audience is just bigger for for the for audio and i knew that that was also that's blackstone's kind of stomping ground you know that's what exactly. that's their bread and butter so it was a commercial decision. You know, I have to make those occasionally. Um, it wasn't a difficult one. Ray was my first choice. Um, but I had to, I knew that I would get some pushback on that because, you know, it, well, it and, is a, and it wasn't so much a British pushback. novel. It, it just, it, it, for me, it took me a minute because it was my first introduction to realize, I'm like, wait a second, Joseph's British. Why does he not sound British? And I'm thinking, well, okay, because Ray's an American. And okay, but he is doing British accents over here. But it does make sense that if most of the time he's doing narration, he's going to do it in his own speaking voice. I don't want him to be, yeah, I don't want him to be having to. Exactly. You know, I look at the reviews on audible.com and Mm -hmm. a couple of people mention it out of the hundreds of lovely reviews on .co.uk, you know, on the audible.co.uk, there's a few more people kind of saying, this is kind of weird. It kind of took me out of it. And I, I get that. I get that. I mean, yeah. hopefully and, and one day, maybe, you know, maybe I'll record them one day and then everyone can shut up about it. No, then we'd be like, they can have the option. The well, yeah. and um, again, I have the opposite problem because I joke, uh, I want a British narrator and some of my favorite narrators are, are British and there's absolutely no reason for any of my books to have any British narrators, even if I have, <laughs> I have occasional British characters, but there's no reason that the main character should not sound like me and I'm going, yeah, I don't, I don't sound totally British. This doesn't make any sense, but can I have it anyway? And I'm sure if I ever had that, someone would say, no, you can't have a British narrator just because you think it sounds cooler and you like the accent. No. No, unfortunately. Yeah, I, mean, I think I mean, that when, you know, when I listen to the when I listen to the audiobooks, you know, within a few seconds, I'm 
Ray's performance is so good that I just get lost. Even it's very strange listening to your own stuff narrated by Ray because yes. you know I've listened to like Hail Mary and I get lost. Exactly. And I go off, I'm off on the, I'm off into the story. And then when he, uh -huh. if I haven't, you know, with this book, you know, this has been a, quite a while since I finished the third book, and you know, listening back to it and hearing Ray narrate that and getting lost in the story, that that just all any concerns just melt away at that point because he's such a good performer that to me he brings the words, he brings the whole story to life so well um that i'm like yeah it's cool that must be so surreal to be like i'm hearing this person read my words and perform them and it's not even like i wrote them anymore because he's elevating to this different thing this performance it's That's a chance really it's, the, it's a very rare yeah it's a very rare chance to glimpse just behind that curtain of what it might be like <laughs> for a reader to actually read my own work i, you know, uh, you I don't love get, it you don't get that opportunity very often because you know mm -hmm. I, I mean i read you know, when I've done my pages for the day, I read them to Kay. You know, we talk about it. She gives me feedback, you know, all that kind of stuff. We, I read it out loud a lot. And, you know, so I know those words intimately inside and out when I'm writing the novel. Give it six to eight months or whatever. And I've kind of forgotten half of it. And to then, <laughs> hear, to then hear, you know, to then hear Ray narrate that and to have completely forgotten certain elements and then him <laughs> bring so much to it that I get lost in the story it's just a glimpse and I get that little tingle of like, this is cool. That's an amazing feeling because you kind of think other other authors do that for me. And the idea of that I might better do that for them is it's a, an amazing feeling. Yeah. And it's so cool to hear Ray narrate it. Well, I hope that we also eventually will get to see, I don't know, an Amazon Prime series or a movie. I mean, when you've got a series of books, I always say, then that's just fodder for a series. One season per book. It works out very easily. I think so TV time, would work really well. Yeah. yeah. We just, we just have to figure out at what time this gets filmed to figure out. I'm not exactly sure how old Joseph is trying to figure out then what actors. I'm like, hmm, Kit Harrington, what's he doing right now? Okay, mm. I, now I'm drinking testing and I'll stop. You're like, no, Kit, <laughs> Kit's too, he's too young at this point, but he can grow the facial hair so he can kind of age up. But mm. I really, we just hit the, the hour mark. I usually try not to keep people this long, but we've been having fun. Gosh, and I blew by. Yeah, I've just I've been having fun talking to you and we've had great people commenting and contributing. Thank you, everyone who's been watching live. But I should let you go because I think it's your bedtime. I mean, probably not quite yet, but it's, it's late it's, for you. Well, it's, it's gin and tonic time. It's gin and tonic. It's always gin and tonic time. Well, cheers to you, Nick. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm oh, so glad to be on your release day. That's amazing. Everybody go out. Get the observer effect. If it's not in your bookstores yet, then go ahead and start with the first two. It starts with, and then she disappeared. And then the shadow of London, is that correct? Or the shadows so of London? Actually, actually, it's probably worth mentioning um, yes. for this month during, to sort of celebrate the launch of the observer, the observer effect, effect. Yes. To celebrate the launch of this one. So that's the third book in the series. We've actually observer. made book. Book one is actually free on uh, ebook at the moment. I think pretty much nice. on every platform. So book one okay, is free. That's uh, called And Then She Vanished. And then the second book, The Shadows of London, that's 99p or 99 cents on the US and UK store, I believe. So, yeah, uh, I mean, now is a great time to get into the series if uh, people like the sound of it. Yes, binge them, and then you, you're you ready to get your brand new copy of The Observer Effect, which every time I go to pull it up, it just keeps showing me. It tells me to keep signing into my, my thing. But it was the last thing I listened to on my net yally. So I got to listen cool. to it that way because it wasn't out yet. Oh, I nice. couldn't get it on audible, which is. Yeah, I no, of course. Yeah. Literally, literally landed today. And we've got the fourth book, um, fourth book's coming out in November. So yeah. I'm, I'm Does busy. it have a title you can tease us with? Uh, it, Maybe. Yes. Yes. The, 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 the quantum chain. 
The quantum chain. I love it. Okay. Anything with the word quantum in it, I would probably just binge by without knowing anything else. But now knowing it's in this series and by you, it's on my list. Thank you so much, Nick, for joining us. I would love everybody to come back April 5th is our next episode. And I'll have Rachel Barenbaum, author of Atomic Anna. Get a load of this cover. This is so cool. And in the meantime... Every week on Vox Vominus, you can catch me and co-host Jennifer Ann Gordon talking to authors of all genres, not just the speculative fiction, sci-fi, fantasy, and romance that I adore. Thank you, everybody watching live. And if you're catching this on the replay, hello. Thank you for watching. If this is on YouTube, go ahead and give it a like and subscribe to the channel. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Nick. Thanks so much. See you later. Bye.